When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's right, folks. Welcome, 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 welcome once again to another episode of Four Screen. And I'm Brendan. I'm Jason. And you might be thinking, you might be thinking to yourself, this intro sounds different. Sounds a lot like Brendan's other podcasts, which I'm sure you all listen to as well. Uh, called what were they thinking no uh, plugs no free rides you pay for that if you want to plug on this podcast brendan all right well apparently jason has just decided he is now going to edit every episode of for screening country <laughs> oh oh my oh no uh, thank oh, you for I volunteering jason mistake. i appreciate all the hard work uh oh, oh. you really you really take it a workload off my off my back and i really Listen, do thank you for that yeah what's the thing about that uh, <laughs> well uh, i gotta go oh Okay, well, I'll try to get Jason to come back. But in the meantime, uh, this podcast is normally, we normally talk about British movies. Um, we normally talk about great British movies, or, or ones that at least allegedly are great. Um, but uh, this, uh, and we try to, we're putting together a list of the best British movies, but that doesn't matter this week. We're not doing that. It's Christmas time, it's holiday season, it's Kwanzaa, it's Festivus, it's, it's, it's Jewish Hanukkah. It's uh, it's all yeah. Don't even look at me wait, like wait, that. Yeah, it's Jewish I, I, Hanukkah. I'm back. I'm back. I came back because I heard him say Jewish Hanukkah as I was walking out the door, and I have to come back to say like, well, as opposed to what? Christian Hanukkah, what? The, which I celebrate. Thing? You do well. well I mean, hey, see, Christian Hanukkah. Can. All Christian Hanukkah means is you just get to light a bunch of candles. You just That's light a candle every night for eight nights, and yeah. maybe do you have a snack or something? A little nosh. No, that's that's not okay. Oh. It's Christian Hanukkah, Jason. Don't be ah, don't be sacrilegious. No, certainly not. Not me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are uh, since it's that time of year, uh, the time of giving. Um, we are just giving it to each other, raw dog in it. Uh, no, that's not is that just what we're kidding. doing. That's our other podcast. <laughs> that's a different podcast altogether. Um, you have to pay for that one. <laughs> we, <laughs> that's on our Patreon. That's not the uh, seventy-two thousand dollar level. Absolutely. The tier tier three. Weirdly <laughs> enough, <laughs> it goes five dollars. Ten dollars, seventy-two thousand dollars. Yes, I mean that's l- legit. That was our. We, we ran the numbers. That's the most efficient way to do it. It's it, it, people will 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 come and as will we if we deliver those tears. Oh yeah. But now that we've not talked about anything that's going to happen in this episode, no. um, let me let me try to ge- steer us back, steer the ship, okay. turn it around. All right. We're giving each other Christmas presents. And by that, I mean, well, last week, Jason got me to watch a movie that is near and dear to his heart. Uh, we, we, we talked about Star Trek VI, a movie that I had never seen before. Um, and this week, I'm doing that to Jason. I'm making him watch Star Trek VI, a movie that he has never seen before. Uh, oh, wait. Hold on. Let me check my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll watch a, it again. I'll go right now. I'm in a silly mood tonight, guys. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I'm getting Jason to watch a movie he has somehow never seen before. And if you listen to this podcast for a while, you might know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But I finally got Jason to sit down, 
get a nice hot bowl of popcorn, uh, uh, a silo of cocoa, and a bag of peanut M&M's, and he watched Jaws. A silo of cocoa? <laughs> like like an I, entire farm silo of cocoa? Yeah, like you were really, I mean, you were really craving that cocoa. I mean, I, I appreciate the thought, Brendan, but I, but I mean, I, I like cocoa, but I don't think I could drink that much. Wait, wait, wait. Are you talking about like the drink, like the hot chocolate? Yeah. Oh, I meant like you had a silo filled with like uh, a Blu-ray copies of the movie Coco. Oh. Yeah. Just okay. in case. Just Never in know. case. Well, Never when, know. when the apocalypse comes, I want to be able to restart humanity by giving everybody a, a Blu-ray copy of Coco to, to set them right. Well, you want to make sure everyone's not racist. That And also, that's going to be our objective. It's like, okay, we have to get from here, which is having rocks as tools, to building a DVD player so we can watch Coco. Right. But no, you watched Jaws. I and did. So, Jason, we're going to get into this. I mean, you're mostly going to get into this. You're going to give us your thoughts and your comments and your questions. Mm-hmm. But I want to know, first off, and I asked you to do this before you watched Jaws, I want to know... All that you know, all that you knew about Jaws before watching a single second of it. Okay, I, I have my notes here of, of what I knew going in. I, I did this probably about an hour or two before I actually watched the movie. Perfect. So, number one, there's a shark. That much I know. Movie's called Jaws, based on a book. I also know that. Peter Benchley. Uh, we Need a Bigger Boat, of course, is the meme. Everybody knows that. Hooper, Quint, and I assume Amy, because I saw Chasing Amy, and Amy, actually, that character wasn't even named Amy, so I guess I'm the asshole right there. So scratch that one. I knew about the USS Indianapolis story that, uh, that uh, Quint tells, which is, a, which is a real story that really happened where a ship made into a great and... feature film starring Nicolas Cage. Did they really? Yeah, it's terrible. Oh, well, I mean... It's it, really yeah. bad. It's called but USS when... Indianapolis Men of Courage, and it's... Uh, uh, Awful. Yeah, it's a, I mean, that's an interesting story. I don't know how you do that as a thrilling feature film, though, but a bunch of guys getting eaten by sharks. Um, shark is the fastest form of transportation. Of course, that's Richard Jenny talking about Jaws of Revenge, so that's neither here nor there. Uh, shark looked like shit, so they used as little as possible. That's a fact mm-hmm. that I've known throughout my whole life, is that they had trouble with the model, a.k.a. Bruce, and so they tried to use as little as possible and use it in a way that it actually looks good. Uh, I knew about the we will not close the beaches thing because that came up a lot during the pandemic. Uh, We're Mm -hmm. talking about lockdowns and such. Um, Of course, the Jaws theme has been like a a pop culture hymn at this point. You knew of the Jaws theme? Yeah, yeah. It's been used in everything. Anytime there's a shark and something, there's some riff on the Jaws theme. Is that the one that's like, Jaws is the word, is the word that you heard. It's got move, it's got meaning. No, it's Mr. Jaws, the 1975 novelty hit, Brendan. You suck. Uh, I knew about the lady in the water with the blood because the one time I started to watch it, I remember that scene of the lady mm-hmm. at the beginning getting eaten. Uh, I, I remember, or I, I've seen the, is uh, it uh, Chief? Is that Hooper? No. Brody. Brody. Chief Brody. Uh, Chief Brody, I remember seeing him chumming the water, and there's that famous scene where he's chumming the water, and he kind of turns around, and there's the shark. And, okay. he, and he kind of stands up, and the cigarette's in his mouth. That's a classic moment. And uh, Richard Dreyfus wearing a toque. Okay. Yeah, so that's basically my knowledge of Jaws. Absorbed through pop culture and, you know, enough to recognize a Jaws reference when I saw it, but sometimes, you know, 
not everything, right? So you knew so. more about this movie before watching it than I knew about Star Trek. Oh 6, yeah, I, would I mean say. you 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 probably just knew the basics, <laughs> just the basics of Star Trek. Like, okay, Captain Kirk and Spock. And I, I think knew we that it was. It, but yeah, I knew that it was the original series, guys. That's about it. Yeah. So you yeah you knew quite okay so you knew enough pop culture stuff going into this movie okay I've Jason. watched I've watched enough Kevin Smith movies with commentaries to hear Jaws references because uh, uh, he uses well among other things the name Brody quite a lot and uh, of course Hooper X and uh, T S Quint yes well um, yeah Kevin Smith seems like he really likes Jaws he, does, um, he might have a good reason we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> or not he could be an idiot <laughs> could be a fucking idiot but we're gonna we're gonna discuss that we're gonna come to that conclusion by the end of this podcast you will know whether kevin smith is an idiot or not yeah based on jason's ruling alone that's right so jason i'm gonna start off by just asking you first impressions you're watching this movie anything coming at you anything anything unexpected anything kind of like oh i figured this was the way it was gonna go like just overall well this is spielberg's what second film uh, I don't. I don't know if it's his second. I'll. I'll find that Fe- out for you. As I know, Duel was his first movie, but that was a feature. Was this his first feature? Maybe. Uh, Duel is a feature, but it was a TV movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't theatrical. It was in Europe, but that doesn't count because Europe's uh, away. Um, one of the things right off the bat about this movie is how nice it looks. Like how well it's shot. Like. And it's it's a nice contrast to the darker subject matter. Obviously, we're having this shark. That's, you know, murdering people in, in what are quite horrifying ways. And I just want to say this is his uh, third feature um, after okay. Duel was the Sugarland Express and then okay. Jaws. And then Jaws. Okay. So this guy is three movies into his film career. He's really got an eye at this point. I mean, there's a reason why this movie you know, made as much money as it did. Cause what, and it's a competently made movie. Like, I love the shots of the town. Uh, uh, and, and it's such a time capsule too, because it's like in the '70s, right? And I know it was contemporary when it came out, but from these eyes, it's such a lovely time capsule. And of course, they've they've kept that movie in pristine condition, and it looks fantastic. Mm. Um, uh, I love I love the acting. It's it's a very grounded movie. Like the first, what is it? Like probably the movie's what just two hours. So the first hour of the yeah. movie, I don't even think we even really catch a glimpse of the shark. We see no. the shark kill a bunch, of, kill a couple people, but no, we don't really I, see uh, the shark at all. I have the time code as when the shark first appears. It's that mm-hmm. famous shot. Yeah, with with Brody ch- chum in the water. Yeah, um, yeah, and that is eighty-one minutes into this uh, one hundred and twenty-minute movie. Yeah, so the first half of this movie is very grounded, and I could see maybe as a, as a kid. I wonder if part of the reason I might have turned it off, having watched it now, is that it's it's kind of slow at the start. If you're not, if you're like a child expecting like a crazy shark movie, there's not a lot of shark. It's a lot of like, okay, w- this person died. This is serious. And the town being like, well, you know, it could have been a boating accident. W- look, we need to keep these beaches open. This is where we make all our money. So maybe we just write it off as a boating accident. You're happy. I'm happy. Town's happy. And they do that. And then they get caught out on it because another person fucking dies. Yeah. Like the first half of the movie, I would argue, is the setup, right? Yes. It's, it's the It's the... Like the inciting incident, I guess, is, well, I guess it's pretty early. I guess it's like kind of when the shark first attacks that girl well, that, in the water. I mean, it's like, so because I'd forgotten that the very first scene of this movie is you see him, you see that classic movie trope that Spielberg did, uh, did so well here and that so many other movies did. A bunch of teenagers smoking pot and drinking on a beach 
and everything, you know, everybody's having a good time, and then a couple starts to get a little like flirty, and then they run off and they run across the beach and they start stripping their clothes off as they're going, which is like, guys, come on, you're gonna have to get those at some point. You know, just gonna, I know you're drunk, but come on, think ahead. And then they, she goes out in the water, and that's when the shark attacks, and we get her, you know, she's jerked around, and there's all the blood and stuff. And but we, again, we don't, we don't really see anything. We just see what's happening to her. Well, right? would you say that the music? The, the yeah. score is the villain for the first half, really. Yeah, well, that's it. It's like, yeah, the only indication of the shark is that music. And that music is so well done. Like, and it's funny to think because that music is, is like, I know I've talked about this before, but the idea is like when you when you see something that's such an originator, sometimes it feels like it's like the ultimate cliche. And it kind of is in the sense that it's like something like Casablanca where so many people have aped it and, and drawn from it over the years that you go back and watch the original that sometimes it can feel like, oh, wow, it feels, but it's not. It's, it's literally the originator of that. It's not rote. It established it. Uh, but and, and Jaws is like that with that music. But at the same time, it's not. It, it's so good. It's, it works so well in this movie. It's, it, it holds up. I mean, it were, you it holds up too? were you shocked too? Because I think when people think about Jaws, they think about... Da-na. Yeah. It's not just that. It's actually no, that's not a literally lot of like, that. That's like the first second and a half of it. Like that, I, I always had this idea that it was like a longer buildup of the. Da, 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 yeah. It would just, but but no, it kicks up pretty quick. And they have but this. It works they so have good. This, they have this sound that comes in at the beginning when she's dragged oh. underwater. I don't know what instrument it is, but it's like it's like a screech thing that happens as she gets pulled. Could and be she's like panicking. Just going across like a fiddle or something. Yeah, violin. It, like, like I've never, I've never really heard anyone really do something like that. Yeah. That always sticks out to me, and that stuck out to me on this watch. I was like, oh, oh, I never noticed that. Like that, and that's timed with the little pull that the shark gives her. And it's funny in my memory because again, this is one of the few scenes of this movie I'd actually seen as a whole because we'd started to watch it when I was a kid. But I remember, I in my mind's eye, I remember this scene taking place during the day. But no, this takes mm. place like early in the morning, and it's quite dark. And that kind of surprised me because I was like, I swear this was lighter in the version I saw, but no, it couldn't have been. No, Nelson Mandela. But that's memory. This was a long time. Yeah, he did absolutely. Um, But what's it? But so that first death was not shocking to me because I knew it was coming. Right. But and 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 the tension that was being built on the beach when that kid goes out swimming and he's on the floaty and everybody's out there. It's like, you know, that he's going to get got. But when he does, it 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 did shock me. Like, because it's pretty brutal. And again, we don't see the shark, but just the thrashing and the blood and all that stuff. Like, it's it, it feels like, wow, this they got away with a lot for a movie that was PG. Now, I get there was no PG-13 rating back then, but it's like, whoa. It, you know, I mean, I, I'm like even thinking like it might have been pushing an R nowadays if this came out. Because there's, a, I mean, Quint's scene, the scene with Quint. That yeah. was very gory, I thought, for oh, for, yeah. for what for the <laughs> yeah, standards well, of the rating of this to movie. To jump ahead, absolutely. That, but that was the money shot, right? That was, the, that was the big one at the end of the movie. We had to see the shark get one real good one, and of course it wouldn't be Quint that got it. But like, yeah, this is a movie that has a small child die. Yeah. Like, like this is a movie in 1975 that has a scene where a shark eats a small child. This is, he and, ate him. I, I have to think, I have to think there was pushback on that for the studio uh, because... I don't know. I wonder. Because, well, that just doesn't... That, honestly, you might see it a little more now, but in general, in horror movies and thriller movies, they don't usually kill off little kids. No, The little kids although, are usually safe. Although, it, you know what, it is, I don't know if this was a specific reference to this movie or if it just was a coincidence, but... In that famous scene of Once Upon a Time in the West, when Henry Fonda kills that kid, that's also a little redheaded kid. 
And then in this movie, who gets eaten by the shark? A little redheaded kid. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm starting to detect a pattern, Brendan. So are you saying that Henry Fonda played the shark? No, what I'm saying is that redheaded kids are clearly the best tasting. Oh, okay. Because Henry Fonda would have ate that kid, I'm sure, off screen after he shot him. I mean, <laughs> Wait, it was the old West. You had to do what you had to do to eat. You don't remember that part? You don't remember that? That was in the director's cut. It was after six and a half him? hours long. After, after he shoots up, they're like, hey, where'd that kid go that you shot at? Henry well, Fonda just Frank, like, now we got to eat him. No, Henry Fonda, they, they say, Where, where's that kid that you shot? And Henry Fonda just does this. What kid? <laughs> Chewing his cud. That's terrible. Um, yeah, no, I think that shocked me that they kill a kid in this yeah. movie. Now, did you know a lot about our, like, three main characters? Um, I knew there was a police chief. I knew there was a crusty old fisherman. And then Richard Dreyfus. I didn't know what his function was. I just knew he was there. Okay. Would it would it shock you <laughs> to hear that uh, Richard Dreyfuss in the movie? You'd say, you know, he's he's pretty put upon. Yeah. Uh, but he's smart guy. He's not annoying, which is the, the, no. I think the trope they fall into with a lot of these like smart characters. In a more modern movie, he would have been like a straight comedic relief character, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But they make they give him like a lot of like imp, you know important decisions are made yeah. by him. But did you know that in the book? Uh, he has an affair with Brody's wife. Damn. Isn't That's... that weird? Well, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen a copy of Jaws. It's a very thick book. So it wouldn't surprise me that there are a lot of plot threads that were going through that thing that ended up getting cut because they weren't really necessary for the movie. That would have changed. Yeah, that would have. I mean, where would that have gone in the context I... of the movie? Like, I mean, that's a thing that I'm like. <laughs> That that's when I come to the defense of like, yeah, you can change stuff. It doesn't would, work as well in movies sometimes. Would the end of the movie be like it's like he he you know he blows the shark up and then you know Hooper comes out of the water and they just kind of look at each other. He's like, I forgive you for por- porking my wife. Oh, he's I, th- like, I thanks, thought, man. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Hooper comes out of the water and then um, Brody turns to him and be like, you fuck my wife, and then he just like drowns him. I saved one for you. Boom! Ka-ching! There's the, and then the last shot is a slow motion of the cartridge from the M1 Garand that he's using tumbling in the air. And then uh, uh, The Man in Me by Bob Dylan starts playing. Or what if he aimed it at the shark at the very end, but then he, like, it was a fake out, and then he turned the gun to, to Richard Dreyfus and did his, like, smile, you son of a bitch line. And then him and the shark, like, high-fived, and then they went to the credits. See, I would have gone the other way. I would have said that he, like, turns and he's like, He's like, I've been working with the shark all along. Get him, Jaws. And then, and he, then of he, course, Jaws he plays the theme song. I thought I promised just to feed it right. No, no, I understand. It's just a feeling right. Because <laughs> Jaws is the word. Jaws, Jaws is the word. That it's the heard. word in 1975, and it remains the word in 2022. <laughs> Rains, was, is, remains. Yeah, like I feel like, um, like I don't know, like I'll, I, I don't want to take over this too much. Qu- Quint is uh, Quint is someone I think who is uh, a staple for that caricature, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the old expert, the old crusty seaman, the old ew. I don't want to say that ever again. The old crusty <laughs> no, <fisherman>. you don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was horrible. Well, again, we we uh, watching this movie and seeing certain like tropes that I I didn't necessarily know where they were from, but. When, when they have that first scene of Quint and he puts his hand against the chalkboard in the room and drags it down and gets everybody's attention. Like, I've, I've definitely seen that in a million things. Didn't realize it was from Jaws. But makes sense. Okay. Were there fish. any other scenes that you were like, oh, that's where that's from? Uh, I'll have to look through my notes here. But that, but that one was the one that really, really stood out uh, okay. to me. 
uh, I mean, I feel like watching this movie now, it's just like all the line. It's almost like watching all the famous quotes back to back. Like they feel like they're 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 in so much. Like even the part where you know where they say like you know, shark in the uh, we go cage goes in the water. Sharks mm. in the water. Our shark. You know that's that, that, even yeah. that's like a fairly well known yep. line. And of course, the often misquoted line: "You're gonna, gonna need, need a bigger, a bigger boat. boat." Not of course, we're gonna need a bigger boat. As I've as I've certainly pointed out before, that's famously in Star Trek. Uh, uh, Captain Kirk never ever said, "Beam me up, Scotty," not once. Yeah. No. And there you go. In it, and there's a, a book that William Shatner wrote called "The Ashes of Eden," where a paragraph that he wrote, and by wrote, I mean he wrote a. I'm sure he wrote this line, but he handed it off to somebody else, and they finished it. Uh, the line he goes, uh, Captain Kirk stood and said something he'd never said before: "Beam me up, Scotty." <laughs> yeah, I got a question for you. If yeah. you didn't know about the whole thing where, you know, obviously there are stories about the shark malfunctioning on set. They called him yeah. Bruce. Uh, yeah. Mostly they called him swear words because they were always freaking out with the shark not working. And eventually they had to make the decision, okay, well, let's work around this. Let's make it so that the shark doesn't appear very often. But when it does, it'll be it'll have a big impact because it'll be like, oh, shit, there he is. Do you think if the shark had been working properly that this movie would have been as good? No, not at all, because the uh, the I feel like the level that the shark would work that would have been acceptable wouldn't have actually probably looked that good. I think yeah, that, well, that by being forced into this position and having to make do with it, not only not only does it work, it like lays a groundwork in Spielberg's mind because then when we go, you know, 15 years, uh, 15, 20 years later and he does Jurassic Park, he takes a similar ethos with that where the actual shots of the dinosaurs are relatively minimal, especially with the use of CG in that movie. There's like like 13 shots, if that, or something. Like It's not a whole lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, it just, it works better because it's, and it just, it hears that old maxim of less is more. And it's it's, just, it's proof that that works. Well, that's so what it's I mean. a good like, way to go. Yeah. Like it's, it's not only like the, the shark may be looking bad if they used it more, but just in general of like, seeing the shark that much like story wise or tension wise i think mm. maybe that takes away from it if they did that you know like you yeah. you don't need to see um you know in psycho we don't find out norman bates is crazy until halfway through the movie you know what I mean? no. like you imagine it's like you imagine seeing this movie and there being like these these not terrible but also not like perfect kind of janky shots of a shark like flopping around and doing whatever like well, you add those in there and it's just it, it becomes a whole different thing and it's not taken seriously yes i can imagine that that's called jaws 3 and jaws the oh. revenge <laughs> well there you go they 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 must have forgot the lesson of jaws uh, they forgot many things including how to make a movie <laughs> zing who directed well, did spielberg make the second one no i don't know he didn't okay nope. all right Nope, just this first one. Um. All right, we'll keep going. Has Spielberg ever done a sequel? Yes, oh, right. Lost he, yes, World. he did Lost World. Okay, but is that yeah. the only one? I believe so. Oh, weird. I no. don't. Know. No, no, no. Well, I mean, he did the Indiana Jones sequels. Okay, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'm a dummy. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the best one, obviously. The best one, yeah. There's a, there's a fifth one coming soon. You know what? I'm gonna say it right here and right now, and I don't care who knows it. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, not bad. I mean, Indiana Jones is kind of inherently silly. Is it that much sillier with aliens in it? I've seen it, so I can't say. I mean, I I love I love the original three. They're they're a lot of fun, especially oh, yeah. the first and the third one. But 
Um, I thought Crystal Skull was fine. I like I enjoyed it, and then I was actually surprised to read later that people didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought it was fun. Oh, here's a note I have that I wanted to bring up. Yes, bring it up. I was watching, early, especially early in the movie, I'm watching scenes and I'm like, somebody watched a Robert Altman movie because we have a lot of over-talking. And, it's, and yes. I like that because it's real. It, again, it grounds the movie further because it feels like when they're in the office and everybody's on the phones, and like, it feels like, yeah, this is what would be going on in this situation. It wouldn't be, you wouldn't just hear one person talking over the din. That's, it's not a sitcom. It's a film, damn it. Well, what's crazy is that the most Robert Altman-y Robert Altman film came out the same year as Jaws, Nashville. Yes. And I would say that that is the biggest example, the most clear example of his style of like, you know, people talking over each other, uh, yeah. dialogue not being super clear, mm. uh, uh, blocking not really being like, it just it just has a more genuine look. And I, th- yes. I think you're right. I think the beginning, well, I mean, I, I say, I'm not saying the second half isn't genuine, but it's different. But the first half yeah, you have these people. They all look like they're just living their life. They're they're all just moving around, shuffling around. Um, I mean, sure, it's not totally Altman. Like you have some scenes where characters are having important conversations, yeah. but there's a lot of it. Um, I wanted to ask you too. Did you know about the about the uh, the line that's some bad hat, Harry? Uh, no. What's okay, that? so there. What is the context of that line? There, like, there, what is it there's. Said? There's a scene where it, this is shortly after the first attack. Yeah. And uh, Brody is sitting on the beach and he's looking out into the water and he briefly sees someone with like a, uh, a shark, kind of shark colored swim cap. Yeah. And okay. and then he pops out of the water and he's like, you know, kind of relieved a little bit. Yeah. And then later when he's talking to him and he's like, you know, that's some bad hat, Harry. Like, I, I so, thought that that was just him referring to the just being like, dude, you're wearing the shark cap. Or well, like I think shark. it's. I, that, well, that's what I mean. He's saying yeah. that. Like, he's really saying that. For years, I thought he was just telling him he had a shitty hat. And I was like, Brody, oh. what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time I've realized it. <laughs> but but did you know that there is a production company called Bad Hat Harry? And that's what it's based on. Of course. This I'm, line in Jaws. I'm sure there's a production company named after 50% of the dialogue in this movie. So I would not be. I'm sure there's a bigger boat. There's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> um,. What else did I have here? Oh, a, a scene that stood out to me again, showing off the acting prowess of uh, many of the people in this movie, was the scene mm-hmm. where they find the girl's body, and they the, walk now up you're on it. Talking about the first girl, yeah, yeah, the first girl. Right. When they find her body and they walk up on it, and it's like we don't really. I mean, we we do see uh, the body in a brief shot, but the horror of that scene is all acting. It's all in Brody. Yeah. It's all in the the people that are there. You know, the cops throwing up, like you know, whatever. It's 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 good. It's really good. I, and then this is the thing is like. It feels are like a blockbuster. About the scene? Are we ta- sorry? Are we talking about the scene where they they bring out that little container? No, 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 no. Where okay. where it's it's where the, uh, Brody goes down to the beach. Right, 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 right. Okay. And I forget who's with him. Is yeah. It sorry, you were, you were sorry. You Anyways, were saying about the blockbuster thing. I was just saying, like in in like the modern blockbuster, we don't often see that level of acting. Yeah. I mean, because it's not, you know, that sort of scene would not really fit into a Marvel movie, you know, or, or something like that. And that's fine. But it's just, it's a weird thing to think of, like, because these, I mean, the people in this movie are all such great actors. I mean, this was a young Richard Dreyfus, but then we've got, you know, Roy Scheider, who's, this is, is iconic in this role. And yep. and our, our, our old dear friend, Robert Shaw, who killed it in uh, Man for All Seasons in two scenes and, and, and died far guy. too young. And well, yeah, dive far too. Oh yeah, definitely. And and also a guy that like a chameleon. 
Because in, in A Man for All Seasons, I watch A Man for All Seasons and I watch Jaws. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't know. If you wouldn't have told me, I would not have known that was Robert Shaw. Absolutely. He's, he was that good. And uh, I know I him as more of his work. I know him as Quint. So when I think of him as like the fact that he's a British guy and I see him in, and, and I look I look back and watch Jaws now having known this, I'm like, I don't hear it at no. all. He seems no. like a crusty fisherman because I'm not going to say seaman again. <laughs> Um, he definitely gets that that northern, uh, like northeastern U.S., like somewhere between Boston and Maine kind of uh, accent, like yeah, almost maritimer, but all but more Boston, you know. Right, right, right. It's interesting. It, it's 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 so interesting how each character has their has their hook, right? Yeah. Uh, not pardon the pun, but um, you know, Roy Scheider's this guy who's kind of an out. He's kind of an outsider, even though he yeah. lives on the island. He's from New York. And you have Richard Dreyfuss, who's like, you know, the the straight to the statistics and science and, you know, logic and all this stuff. He's like the Spock guy, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, he is definitely the Spock in that relationship. And then you have the uh, Quint, who is like the working class kind of, you know, he's a veteran. What we learn later, obviously, through that one of the, I think, one of the best acting moments of the entire movie, when he tells that story about the USS Indianapolis. He's he's a Um, psychopathic mix of Captain Kirk and Dr. McCoy. Yeah, but he's very working class. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like Roy, Roy Scheider is 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 very New York. He's very working class, and Dreyfus is Dreyfus is upper class. He, we we he, hear him straight up tell Brody at one point when he says like, "Are you rich?" and he says, "Yep." <laughs> he's not <laughs> yep. hiding it. Yeah, he's not gonna hide it. I mean, what's the point? Um, no, but like Quint, yeah, Quint does remind me of people I've met in my life here in the Maritimes. Like just you know the yeah. salt of the earth people. That some of them are fishermen, some of them you know work in the fields or work in the forests or whatever. But just, just those, just those guys. It is like, yeah, if you gave this guy a boat and a harpoon, he'd go out and hunt some fucking sharks, no question. And I don't know if this is like I don't know if there's a purpose, a reason for this choice, but he likes singing that uh, Spanish lady song. Spanish lady, which is funny because that's the the same tune to uh, uh, "We'll rent and we'll roar like true Newfoundlanders." We'll rent and we'll roar on again below. You know that one? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But the the, 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 the the old Spanish lady. I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's an old salt. He loves to sing a shanty. Yeah. And then, of course, the the old shanty, uh, "Show me the way to go home." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was watching this movie at my uh, at my in laws' house, and when that scene came on, my mother in law started singing it from the kitchen along with them. <laughs> <laughs> now, had your mother in law seen this movie? Surely, I think so. I mean, I years and years ago, uh, uh, my father in law certainly had, and he had, had your wife to uh, uh, no. What? No, she watched a little bit of it with me. I don't think she watched it all. Yeah, no, I see. But my thing with Jaws growing up, and I, I'm sure I told this before, but was that my friend Justin talked about it because his mom fucking loved the Jaws movies and she taped them off TV and she taped one, two and three all in a row, but didn't tape any of the credits or commercials. So for a long time, Justin thought it was like one super long shark movie that was like four hours long. <laughs> <laughs> That just like like gets worse and worse yeah. as you go. Yeah, <laughs> it just just keeps going. It's like wow, they really should have stopped this two hours ago. Yeah. Um, by the way, did you know that in the fourth one? Um, so you know what's interesting? Roy Scheider has an entire journey in this movie, right? Like mm-hmm. he's terrified of the water. Yeah. And he ends up being the one ultimately to kill the shark, which is great storytelling, right? You take him from point A to point B. It's a complete is that, character. Is that the shark. last line he says where he's like, "And I used to be terrified of the water." <laughs> yeah, I, I think something, something like, like that. that. It's somewhere but, around there. But what I think is um, 
what I think is ridiculous and that in the fourth Jaws, because Roy Scheider was like, uh, no, thank you. I don't want to do Jaws 4. Yeah. They had his character die off screen, to which they, they explained that he thought he saw a shark and had a heart attack. <laughs> what? Like, it couldn't, this is the guy that <laughs> murdered a shark and it blew it up in the first movie. And in the fourth one, he thought he saw a shark and panicked and died. Where? What? He's like standing on the beach? I, what a stupid, <laughs> stupid thing to happen. What, that's, that's okay. That either is the dumbest executive in the world that is asked that question of, well, what are we going to do about him? He's like, oh, he just, he, he saw a shark and he had a heart attack. Or it was like a literal fuck you to Roy Scheider for I not being a- in Jaws 4. I think it was a fuck you, but like that ruins the entire yeah. character thread. So dumb. But thankfully, but, I mean, Lorraine that's Gary to, he, was there to fall in he, love with Michael Caine. He wouldn't be the last character killed off uh, in some stupid way as a fuck you to the actor for not coming back. Oh, another favorite of mine. Is, I don't know if you've seen Independence Day Resurgence. No. Oh, did, oh so, w- w- Will Smith's character? So this is what happens. Will Smith's yeah. son is the lead. Not his actual son, but the char- like the character's son. Yeah. And... He says his dad died in a in a test flight incident. This is the guy who went up against the aliens, yeah. went into the UFO, murdered a bunch of them, said, welcome to Earth, yeah. and died in a fucking test flight. Well, my, my main, just, just as a sidebar, just to address this, my main thing would be like, well... I, I don't feel like at that point the hero of humanity would be allowed to continue being a test pilot because his value would be much more in a, a morale and promotional thing for the military rather than, you know, testing planes in which you could die at any moment. I think you've you've moved past that when you're the savior of humanity. You don't have to do that anymore. Well, apparently the, I don't know, five writers that wrote that movie didn't figure that out, so... I mean, at least Maverick didn't save humanity. He just pissed off some MIGs, and then and then he just got stuck at his rank for his whole P- life. Pissed off some what? Some MIGs. What the, the hell planes, is that? The MIGs, the Soviet MIGs. Well, I'm just we, making we, sure people heard what you said. MIGs, M-I-G. Uh, I'm just uh, making sure it was clear for everyone. <laughs> it's not a slur on planes. No. It's a type of plane. Yeah, weird plane slur. Yeah, I don't, I don't approve of plane slurs. I, I think planes, planes deserve respect. They do. They fly. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. What were some of your other observations from this movie, Jason? Uh, oh, I like that long shot on the ferry. That one shot where where uh, Roy, where Brody gets on the ferry with the mayor and pulls the car on, and they go on that little short little ferry ride. But it's all one shot, and we see the entire trip start to finish. I thought that was really cool. How about that mayor, huh? How about that mayor? Uh, That's one of my favorite details that I noticed. I don't know if you ever noticed this. Um, Through the first part of the movie, when the mayor is dealing with everybody, he's got this plastic cigarette in his hand. And it's clear it's a plastic cigarette because he's holding it like, he's holding it not like you would hold a cigarette between your fingers. He's holding it like a pen almost, like just between his hands. And he, you know, is using it clearly to fidget with and whatever. So throughout the whole movie, he's got that going and then when we have that uh, uh, last shark attack and everything's going crazy, we, we I think we're in the hospital or something and we see the mayor there and he's smoking a real cigarette at that point. 
Huh. That's with his character. That's how I know things have gone bad because he snapped and had to had to smoke a real cigarette. And also, that meant wonder if that informs his performance because the so mayor wait. has a lot of shit to deal with, and he's kind of irritated by all this, even though people are dying. He just wants to keep the town open. Is it partly because he's nicotine deprived that he maybe is not making the most rational decisions? <laughs> is it is it a plastic cigarette or is it just? I'm pretty a pen? sure. Yeah. No, it's a. I'm pretty sure it's a plastic cigarette. Now, folks, if if I'm wrong. Please tell me because I, I've built this all up in my head. But yeah, I, I feel like that that was a character choice. No, that makes sense because I think that is the first time you actually see him smoking, and smoking it's definitely a real cigarette, yeah. and it's definitely the heightened moment of his uh, emotions. I like okay now, like I'm not saying the mayor is uh, certainly uh, making some good decisions here, but I like the fact that he's not just a cardboard cutout villain. No, and I mean, like the, he clearly the has he's, he's making. He, I say, Brendan, he's making very similar arguments to what business leaders were making during the pandemic, like yeah. an economic argument why that despite the bullshit that's going on, we need to keep everything open because that's where our money comes from. Right. And that's why you and I took our trucks out to that uh, that's protest. Right. That's why we did. We wanted to make sure that the beaches could stay open. <laughs> no. It, yeah. Because you get his side of the whole thing is that he, you know. As greedy as it is, he needs the place to make profit because he needs the fucking town to stay afloat. Like, the the the, the town, like he said, depends on the tourism. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if it's him. I don't think it's him knowingly knowing the dangers and doing it anyway. I think he's kind of in denial. Yeah, he's he's looking at it from, it's like, look, okay, maybe, maybe it was a shark, maybe it's not. We don't know. We don't need to know. Uh, but then we capture a shark. We got a shark. Let's just hope it doesn't happen again. Because how how often can a shark attack happen? Are they that common? I mean, really? Are they that I mean, common? No, they're not in real life. So it would stand to reason that if this character was a real life person, that he would reasonably uh, reason that uh, shark attacks are pretty rare. So it's probably not going to happen yeah. again. Right. I'm not saying like he's like a hero, but I'm just saying no. he's maybe he's maybe not the megalomaniacal no, he, villain he, that he, people I think he often gets remembered for he, being he, well, he pushes it too far that's ultimately the yeah. problem is that he, uh, he he rolls into villain territory when he just kind of is so stubborn about it and doesn't and like after like the second death doesn't immediately like close all the beaches down and be like fuck this oh that scene uh, talk about a good example of how to build tension that scene where Brody's at the beach and he's just watching the water like just that whole scene just building tension that entire time there's no time. music yeah, no, he's just staring out and showing the different people having fun in the water. And it's like, you know, something's going to go bad, man. Something is going to go bad. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it's um, I think it's interesting because it's one of the very few scenes where there's no actual music. No music and you don't need it. And that's and that's the thing. I, I always appreciate when a filmmaker knows when not to use music as much as when they do know when to use music. That's a skill almost as important as knowing when to use music because sometimes people use too much music yeah like it's not it's not about the notes you're playing man it's about the notes you're not playing well it's also like you know i feel like well we both watched pearl harbor i feel like a movie a movie like that is like the music is aggressively telling you what to feel it is oh yeah i mean in any movie that could be argued that's why i i've always been a fan of a war movie that does a lot does its battle scenes without music because it helps in my mind, it helps heighten the, the brutality and insanity of the whole thing, uh, whereas the music can really, like, you, you know, you watch a Saving Private Ryan and you get that rising score and, oh, these heroes doing a job, and then you come back to reality and it's like, oh, wait. <laughs> well, I mean, I, it's I'm all not saying mud and blood. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the music in general, in no. mu- score in general, but I'm just saying the bad scores are easy to detect bad scores, because yeah. they're the ones that are like, 
oh shit, should I be crying at this scene? Hmm, I wonder. <laughs> and then and then what about that rare movie that has a fantastic score but is a terrible movie? Like Van Helsing. Oh, I t- <laughs> that's always my go-to. That is such a great like over-the-top orchestral soundtrack that the movie does not deserve. That it that in a in a flawless film. Yeah, <laughs> you can go uh, listen to uh, my guest episode on everything I learned from the movies. You did. You added to the everything I learned from movies. There you go. Don't go shit plug. My, go check out my episode. I get a free plug. You had a free plug. I get a free plug. It was for this. Oh, I guess it wasn't for this part. No, exactly. Uh, I I like the scene where everybody's assembling to go hunt the shark because it's just it's just and that's exactly what would happen. Just a bunch of hicks would show up with the dumbest things, like <laughs> like getting into boats with like assault rifles and shit. And somebody brought dynamite with them, which honestly, in my mind's eye, I thought that he blew the shark up with dynamite at the end of the movie. So I thought that was like foreshadowing. But no, it was the constant shots of the compressed air that were the foreshadowing. Well, and and, and also the moment where he knocks it over and yeah. Quint rewards him. This thing can blow. Yeah, exactly. Laying the groundwork just like you gotta. But doing it in a way that doesn't feel like a lot of bad modern movies do, where it's like, oh, geez, I wonder if this will matter later. Well, no, I, but I like we would have the scenes like if the boat shook, we'd have a quick shot of the like tanks shaking. Yeah, <laughs> just to remind us that they're there. It's and not that they in can your blow face. At any time. It's not in your face, no. but it's there. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, ultimately, this is a well-constructed movie. Um, uh, one one quote that I don't hear enough people reference, and I, I actually hadn't heard before, was when uh, Qu- uh, Quint's wa- not Quint when Brody's wife says to him, "Want to get drunk and fool around." I like how how so you look at all the all the boats in the marina there and they're like you know like most boats they're kind of white painted and kind of bright looking and then Quint's boat pulls into the harbor and it looks like it looks like a tank <laughs> it's like all dark and it's got like sheet rusted sheet metal on it and stuff it's like this is a this is not a fishing boat this is not a pleasure boat this is a this is a, a shark warrior's boat yeah and a lot of by the way back and forth between. Uh... Quint and uh, Hooper, that's like the main conflict, I think, when they're out on the hunt. And it's all like, you know, old school versus technology, which I thought was fun. And you know what's fun about that is that they both end up being kind of right. Hmm. You know, things work out for Quint, but then, you know, a lot of stuff that Hooper has ends up working out for them too. Yeah. It's not Spielberg just being like an old, bitter man, even though he was only like 30 at the time when he made (laughs) the movie. Uh, that scene where Mrs. Kittner slaps Brody, that's a pretty heart-wrenching scene because he deserves that slap because he knew that kid died because of the shark and he went along with the mayor instead of actually you know, doing something about it. And I know he struggled over it, but he still, he still did the wrong thing there. And that I think that's the moment. That's the moment his resolve is steeled to deal with this shark. Mm-hmm. And then he has that nice moment with his son at the table where he's like kind of like got his head in his hands and his son's just mirroring him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There's like little character moments throughout yeah. that really add to it, right? Even like the relationship between him and his wife, I think, is really good too. Yeah. And I think a lesser, a lesser movie, they would, they would, you know, it's the wife of the main character. Those, Who cares? I mean, those those character moments would be an easy thing to cut. But yeah, th- I'm glad they're there. Yeah. Like I, I like my favorite moment uh, with the with uh, Lorraine Gary. Who plays uh, Ellen? I think is her name, Ellen Brody. Yeah, um, is when they're yelling at their son to get out of the pond. Yeah, and uh, she's just like, "Oh, come on, like whatever." 
And then she glances down at some book about sharks that Brody's reading. Yes. And there's like a picture of a shark like tearing apart a boat. And she's like, get out of the water. Yeah. You hurt your father. Like <laughs> immediate, immediate yeah. tone change. Yeah. No, that, was, that was a good scene. Um, here's a question I have, which yes. I don't. Of all the mayor's actions, this is the one that makes the least sense to me. So okay. when he's on the beach. So so we've, so we've this is after there's been some, some trouble and everything. But they're reopening the beaches. It's the big day. Everybody's there. And he's there on the beach, and he goes, nobody's going in. And then he goes over to the old guy, and he's like, you get your fat ass out there in the water. That's not what he says, but that was the implication in my mind. Uh, you get your ass out into the water so that other people go out there. And my thought is, what does it matter if they go in the water or not? He's got their money. They're paying well, for hotels. They're buying food. What does it matter if they don't go in the water? But there's a lot of water activities, though, right? There's there a is. lot of like sports and competitions that they have. Sure, sure. But I they're think already wants- there. But I think he wants the uh, the look, too, because they've got, like, newspapers coming by and all that stuff. Yeah. So I think he just wants I, – I think I think he's just – I think this is the mayor um, having a crisis, first of all, internally. And also, at the same time, I think he's like, well, we need to make it look like nothing's changed. So if anyone walked by, they'd be like, oh, look at Amity, the greatest place on Earth, super safe. Yeah. Maybe it's like when the uh, when that British minister years ago during the uh, mad cow disease – like ate a burger on TV or something. <laughs> British beef is good beef. Or when Obama t- barely took a sip of the water in. But yeah, uh, and the fl- it's like, oh, this water is great. You know, I yeah, like yeah, Obama. No, I like Obama. <laughs> not the best thing he did, though. Yeah, no, they. That's a, that's one of those things. It's like you guys could have fixed that. You just you could have and you didn't. Yeah. And that's on and that's on that administration, but that's on the previous administration too, and that's on the f- subsequent administrations for not fixing it. Yeah. Um. Uh, oh wow! Uh, there, there was that other shark attack where the dude got it. Yeah, and the pond dude gets attacked in the pond, and we see his leg fall down into the like the bottom mm. of the water. <laughs> that was a good effect. Mm. Um, Quint, good for him chugging a beer in the morning. The whole thing. That didn't. I mean, that this was pre-Animal House, was it not? Was this where Bluto got the idea? This is pre-Animal House. Yeah. Yes. So Bluto, Bluto clearly was a. Uh, uh, he, he, I, Bluto clearly idolized Clint. Clint. Quint. He also idolized Clint Howard, but that's a different story. That speech, too, that's a great scene, man. You're eating a banana. Put that banana down. You can't do that. You can't excite me like that in the middle of a podcast and expect me to be able to finish eating on a podcast. Folks, please send letters to Brendan, please, and complain about his eating on a podcast. It's disrespectful. I I told Mariah (laughs) I'm going to bring a banana in there and eat it when he's in the middle of something just to throw him off. And I won't let that pass. But yeah, that speech, the speech, that's such an iconic speech. Again, I've seen variants of that, uh, of uh, him telling the story about the USS Indianapolis and what they went through in the water and everything. But I've, I've seen so many like riffs on that in my life, but it was cool to finally see the original. And it's intense. That's that's Robert Shaw being all Robert Shaw right there. Yep. Uh, oh, there was that. I don't know if I'm sure it must have been intentional. Because how would they be that lucky? But that uh, scene with the where there's a shooting star behind Brody, it's like a, an upshot at the sky, and you see a shooting star go behind him. I thought that was nice. I mean, I'm, there's no way that wasn't a special effect. Yeah. Uh, what else do I got here? Are you talking about scenes with no music uh, being really effective? I mean, Quint's death. Yeah. Has no music. He's just just all sound effect getting ripped apart by the, the shark. The shark, the shark is starting to tear apart the boat. Quint is slowly sliding down. It's a horrifying shot, mm. and it's so it's so 
I don't know, you just get a real guttural feeling from it because you know you hear everything. He he chomps into Quint. He like sc- he like screams through like clenched teeth. The blood comes up out of yeah. his mouth. Oh, it's it's, uh, it's brutal. But it also is like it's like a catharsis because to, up to this point, we've only seen like the vaguest impression of what this uh, uh, shark is do- doing. And it's getting more intense each time. Like we, we saw like the blood, the first one and the girl getting jerked around and then the thing getting shredded with the little boy. And then the next guy having his leg sink down to the bottom. And now all the way in after all of a sudden, then we finally seeing this shark do what he does. And it's just tearing Quint apart. I bet it was kind of shocking to see one of the yeah. three main characters die because you don't yeah. expect to see it. If you have no idea what's hap- what's coming, you don't expect that Quint is going to die. No. no and not I'll at tell all. you right now, Jason, uh, originally Brody was going to be the only one who survived. Of course, we have that scene where Hooper goes into the, ca- the shark cage and the yeah. shark is like banging the fuck out of it trying to eat him. Mm-hmm. Um, in the original screenplay, or I don't know if they shot it like this, but they certainly wrote it like this. Hooper dies from the shark. Like, the shark kills Hooper, and it's just Brody at the end Mm. surviving. And I think they determined that Richard Dreyfuss was way too charming as Brody and too likable, and they they said, we want to end it on a bit more of a happy note, so So we're going to let him live. So that was in the script. Was that what happened in the book? Perhaps? I think in the book he dies. I because think. that would make that would make sense with the with the affair plot line because that would conveniently solve that problem. Well, like I said, you 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 heard me tell you how it how it ends. Yeah. He points the cannon at the shark and then he's like, "Just kidding!" and blows Richard Dreyfus up. Yeah. <laughs> and now I am the shark. I am the shark now. Also, yeah, the fact that the Quint's dead and the boat is completely destroyed at the end of the movie, and that it just kind of ends there. It's like they they kill the shark movie is like ends and then we see credits as they like swim back to shore <laughs> yeah no, no yeah, messing around right. and i'm uh, yeah well that's what i love i love a movie that ends when it when we've reached the ending yeah we, we don't need to see he doesn't need to go back to town and debrief everybody we can just assume that happens we don't need to see it so there we go so i'm reading the i read the plot summary quick quick plot summary of the book and mm-hmm. yeah hooper hooper dies in the novel okay. uh when he gets in that shark cage okay the shark All kills right. and eats him and then Brody informs Quint the town can no longer pay him, but Quint is determined to kill the shark regardless of the reward. They cut that out too, because like, why? Why would? Why need that? Why do you need that? Yeah, it's clear. It's clear. Quint likes hunting sharks. It's because based on the amount of like shark uh, jaws he has all over his ship and uh, inside it, uh, he's very good at it and yeah. likes to do it. <laughs> Here we go. I'm I'm curious about. The, I was curious about the affair, so I'm gonna see if we can find something on this affair here. Uh, Brody's wife, Ellen, is missing the affluent lifestyle she had before marrying Brody, having children. She instigates a sexual encounter with Matt Hooper, who is the younger brother of David Hooper, a man she used to date. The two go to a motel after Ellen invites him to lunch at a restaurant several miles from Amity. Throughout the rest of the novel, Brody suspects the two have had a liaison and is tormented by the thought. I guess Peter Benchley just wanted to go kind of Russian with his novel and had these Byzantine connections throughout it. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Okay, so in the novel as well, Jason, here's another weird detail. Uh, Mayor, the Larry Vaughn, he visits the Brody house and alludes to the fact that uh, he thinks he and Ellen would have made a great couple. <laughs> and, then, and then she starts feeling guilty over her prior thoughts of missing the life she had before marrying Brody. See, again, I know you said it's a thick book, but I'm really glad that Steven Spielberg looked at this book and said, all of that stuff can be cut. 
Yeah, would it would have dragged this thing down quite a bit if we'd had to have like the ice storm going on in the background. Yeah, so I just thought that was interesting to uh, to find out the weird details of the Jaws book written by Peter Benchley. I'm fascinated. I, I, mean, I wonder if I should read it sometime just to say I did because I famously I love the book Jurassic Park and I, and that, I is like fa- it. that is that is pretty famous. That's yeah. famous about me. Um, but I also, I mean, I really like the movie. The movie's a fantastic movie, but that book is really good. Like that is that is an example where the book is a superior, in my mind, version of the movie. But also that the movie is a really good adaptation of that book. Because mm-hmm. well, there's there's uh, there's some books that are boring that make good movies, and there are some movies that are books that are amazing that you know, just you can't do it. You can't do it. Well, I want to tell you, Jason, this movie uh, was up for some Oscars. Sure. Um, it won three Oscars. Yeah. You want to take adventure? Uh, I'm pretty sure it won Best Picture that year, Best Director, and Best Shark. No to all of those. What? It won Best Film Editing. Okay. Uh, best Original Score. Yeah, clearly. Why did I think of that? And Best Sound. Okay. Um, it was nominated for Best Picture, but it lost to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh. Um, which, in retrospect, I mean, I think Jaws was the bigger movie there. Bigger, but certainly. Um, Spielberg at the time was actually, uh, you know, publicly pretty miffed that he wasn't not even nominated for Best Director. He was, he was he was pretty upset by that. I know, but still, it was film number three, Stephen. I know it made tons of money, but but relax. I kind of I kind of tend to agree. With, I mean, I, he wasn't like raising a stink, but there's he a famous there. video. There's a famous video where he's watching the uh, the Oscar nominees come in, and he's not watching the nominations, and they announce best director, and he's like, "Oh, what? Really? <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, he got nominated for best picture. That's cool, man. Whatever." <laughs> and he's he's just a little you know he's fucking he's a kid he's like not even thirty years old. I mean, it always does seem weird to to have a separate category for directing. It's like not a really movie, I don't, a movie I that gets nominated for directing but isn't nominated for best picture. I mean, like I could see like a movie like um, The Cell would be a movie that I might nominate for best director, but not no, for because best you're picture. thinking you're thinking cinematography. Well, though. that's true too. I mean. Directing is like all of the stuff. In, I think that's a lot to do with performance, too. Sure. But and how is that different from the movie, movie as a whole, I guess, is my question. I think it's different from the movie as a whole because I think Best Picture, you could have a Best Picture, um, but nice, but another movie might be better directed. But if you look at the history of the Oscars, too, a lot of movies that won Best Picture won Best Director, but it doesn't happen every year. No, certain, so, no it certainly doesn't. I mean, and it, it's, I mean, if nothing else, it's a way to, to recognize a director and still recognize a different movie for Best Picture. Well, and maybe it's like a, this movie's best picture and, you know, it had the best overall everything. That doesn't mean that this particular aspect was the best out of anything. You win best picture, Steven Spielberg. or Sorry, you win best director, Steven Spielberg. But if you had directed uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, then you would have won best picture, too. So <laughs> there you go. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, this movie. Well, actually, at the time, it received mostly positive reviews. Roger Ebert gave it four stars. He said, a sensationally effective action picture, a scary thriller that works all the better because it's populated with characters that have been developed into human beings. Uh, Variety said Robert Shaw's performance was absolutely magnificent. Pauline Kael said it was the most cheerfully perverse scare movie ever made (laughs) with more zest than an early Woody Allen picture, a lot more electricity, and it's funny in a Woody Allen sort of way. That's not the vibe I got from the movie, I'll tell you that much. I can see where she's say, saying that about the comedy, though, because some of it is kind of uh, is kind of quirky and everything. Did Did Steven Spielberg want to cast Woody Allen in the Roy Scheider role? 
I, sure I just I, I'm not drunk enough to go on this boat. <laughs> I sure hope not. The New York Times, however, said it's a measure of how the film operates that not once do we feel particular sympathy for any of the shark's victims. Hmm. In the best films, characters are revealed in terms of the action. In movies like Jaws, characters are simply functions of the action, like stagehands who move props around and deliver information when it's necessary. He did describe it as the sort of nonsense that can be a good deal of fun. Vincent Canby, you are famous <laughs> now for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Some, you know, movies are, are, I mean, obviously Jaws was a breakthrough movie as far as, as being such a broadly appealing thing that made so much money. Um, and that's just, when new stuff like that happens, some people just, it's not their thing. They can't, they can't get into it. I want to read you one more negative one. Please do. Los Angeles Times critic, uh, and the, the fakest fake name ever, Charles Champlin. <laughs> I think, I think he's a famous critic. <laughs> uh, it disagreed with the movie's PG rating, saying Jaws is too gruesome for children and likely to turn the stomach of the impressionable at any age. It is a coarse-grained and exploitative work, exploitative, exploitative, whatever, uh, which depends on excess for its impact. Ashore, it is a bore, awkwardly staged and lumpily written. Hmm. I mean, he I, I, he had a point there at the beginning, but beyond that... What he said, it shouldn't be PG? Well, yeah, I mean, in retrospect, yeah, definitely. If you wrote, yeah. if you rated that movie today, it would be minimum PG thirteen, maybe even R, because like that last scene is pretty fucking gruesome. Yeah, I think he would have had a hard time not getting at the R. I think at that point he'd be like, "Well, let's just have them say fuck every other word." Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. You've seen Jaws. I have, Jason. It sounds like you had a good experience, but tell tell me how you felt about finally seeing Jaws. I'm a new man, Brendan. Um, yeah, it was, it was nice to finally watch it. And, and often with old movies, you know, sometimes the, the thought is, is that, you know, it it may not, it may not feel great. It may not hold up. Um, but Jaws thankfully is a movie that is so ahead of its time in terms of pacing and stuff. Uh, it, it, it works. It like seeing it with 2022 eyes. I mean, it's not much different from what I would expect in a good movie today. And it's, it's an entertaining film start to finish. The performances are really good. The story is nice and to the point, and we don't have any of that excess crap from the novel. Um, yeah, it's a great movie. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I'm glad I did because I've, I've heard about it for so long and I was, I, it just made me happy to know that this actually is a fantastic movie uh, after all these years. I'm so happy you finally have seen this movie <laughs> well i mean at, at a certain point it was like now i'm just saving it for a podcast but i'm glad that we finally got to that point and i've finally allowed myself to watch it yes indeed well there you go jason has now seen jaws mission complete we can go back to our home planet yay goodbye everybody treat yourselves well bye it's a weird sign off i'm back i decided against it my, my, oh, home, planet, my home planet was terrible Oh, shit. Yeah, very polluted. Trump's president. <laughs> yeah, he, he, that's right. He moved on. He's like, oh, I'm going to take over Alpha Centauri 4. That's my new That's my new goal. I drive them the best. You know, we got to make Alpha Centauri good, you know, for once. It's got to finally be good, and then maybe it'll be great, but it will too be. Much, too much space. I too say much we space. build a wall so the space can't get in. Don't want, we don't want these immigrant earthers coming to Alpha Centauri 4 <laughs> and taking our farmland. Wouldn't it be great if Trump was, like, complete opposite and he was, like, super anti-racist, but he was still saying, like, the stupidest shit? <laughs> like, white people, white people be full of bananas. 
They're always putting oranges in their pants. They're they always, gross. They always have these toilets in their house. You can't flush. They just you try to flush their toilets and nothing goes down at these white people. Yeah, he moves on to start talking about airline food after that. <laughs> um <laughs> I can't ever get the peanut package open. It's very difficult for my tiny hands. <laughs> Luckily I have a big dick. <laughs> so there we go. We talked about Jaws. Now next week um we are going to talk about a Christmas thing because <laughs> i'm not gonna say it's a movie because no, it's not really a movie but jason no, tell us what we're gonna talk about tell us, well, tell us it's not it. a movie it's a special and um because we watched uh, the previous years we watched the, the 1951 scrooge was that yep. 51 we yep. watched the the musical scrooge yep um and i wanted to watch something else british because we could have watched scrooge with bill murray but that's an american movie which i've never seen which i've never seen either so maybe oh. next christmas we'll keep that one in mind Okay. Uh, but this Christmas, I wanted to watch something funny, and my favorite riff on that story is Black Adder's Christmas Carol, which is basically just the opposite <laughs> of a Christmas Carol. So I'm excited for Brendan to watch this. I haven't watched it in a long time. Uh, have you? Have you ever watched any of the Black Adder uh, shows? Not a bit. Oh well, you are in for a treat, my friend. Uh, okay. Rowan Atkinson, of course. Tony Robinson. Uh, I think Stephen Fry might be in this one. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if Hugh Laurie is. He's been in some of them. Uh, we'll see. But it's a whole mishmash of wonderful British actors and Rowan Atkinson being the complete opposite of Mr. Bean. So what? But he's I very he verbose. Talk he likes ever. to talk a lot. No, he talks a lot. Perfect. Well, we'll talk about that next week. Um, but until then, I just got to say that you can find us on all the podcast apps. Our home base is Age of Radio. You can go to ageofradio.org slash for screen. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, just search for our podcast there. You can find us on Twitter at FSAC Pod, as in for screen and podcast. And Jason, what about you? Uh, I'm over on Twitter and on Hive at Jason D. McLeod. That's M A C L E O D. I mean, follow me and we can get through this together. Maybe maybe we'll watch social media die in a flame, like the whole thing. Maybe it'll all go away. So Elon owns Twitter. Who owns Hive? Is it like uh, uh, I think it's two guys. Jaleel White. I think it's two guys with venture capital money. So not necessarily better, but they're they're not out there uh, 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 <laughs> accusing Apple of uh, not wanting free speech because he doesn't like the thirty percent they charge on the App Store, which is criminal. Fair, but you got money, Elon. You but also it's it. like it's like it's like when you hear. A Republican politician saying um, the news is skewed, and you're like, "Well, yeah, yeah. But you, you don't get to say that, though." Yeah, well, <laughs> of course it is. But <laughs> what are you? Even, what are you even saying at that point? Like, yeah, what are you saying with that point, though? <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to watch billionaires argue with each other. That's funny to me. Sure. Yeah. Agreed. Um, okay. Well, follow Jason there. Find us all over the place, um, and we'll uh, see you next week when we talk about. The Black Adder Christmas Carol, which I believe you could probably find on the internet somewhere. It's out there. Don't just Google it, folks. You'll find it. Yep. Well, after all that, Brendan, all I have to say to you is God save the king. With your wife I had a fling. Oh. And for screen and country, I'm Jason. And I'm Brendan. You get away from my wife, you naughty We're doing dog. It right now. Oh, oh, oh no, oh, oh. no.
Do 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 do